I'm not human, Suki. I'm vampire. Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. And I hope everybody is okay out there in No Name Music Cast land. Uh, so I think that's where you all live, probably. That's where uh, they all live, twenty four seven. Tim. <laughs> well, we, we've decided to resurrect the tip of the day feature. So over to you, Joy. What kind of tip do you have for us this evening? Well, I think we define it as tip of the week, though. That was up for debate. But anyway, <laughs> so my tip is um, to be a little bit more conscientious. So if you're a fast typer like I am, so Tim knows when I type a Molotov, I make typos when I'm just doing general chat. But that's different than like if you're writing a legal letter or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're a fast typer, you sometimes if you're in my case, your brain works faster than your fingers do, if that makes sense. Sure. So. Um, to, to, to explain, I type about 90 to 100 words per minute. So that's the example. Um, I went through a few weeks ago, had to fill out some paperwork for me and my husband's benefits. His birthday is the third. And I accidentally put the 30th. I realized this after he has been to um, got his prescription said and they're like, hey, we can't find you on your prescription, whatever. So I spent three and a half hours to get one number fixed with Anthem today. (laughs) I had to redo my entire policy as if it were a life change to get Mm -hmm. one number fixed, Tim. (laughs) One number. And they hung up on me twice. Yeah, it seems to be that these these healthcare plans, everything about it is bureaucracy and a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Absolutely everything about it. It's very like almost like they wouldn't. And they're like, well, we're going to deny that, you know, claim because it doesn't match. And I'm like, well, I know it doesn't match. Here's the problem. I know what the problem is, but until I get it fixed, they're like, this is like their way of denying it. Cause it's not the right birthday. And I'm just like, it's almost like they wanted to keep me from fixing it. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not what happened, but that's the way it felt at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, us healthcare is complicated and expensive complicated and convoluted it has gotten better um i think with the aca for people who need a little bit because you can use a tax credit towards your health insurance but it's definitely not where it's supposed to be um anyway we're not going to get into the politics of that but moral of the story is when you're filling out things like that just pay a little closer attention when you're typing and that's coming from an hr person so you know i should be (laughs) more conscientious (laughs) yeah I, i would say this isn't my tip but one thing is like if i'm writing a business email I, mm-hmm. r- rather than just write it and hit send, I read it and then hit send. That's a general one. Now, in HR, one thing we do, because everything is interpretational when you're writing policies, I have more than one other person read it to see how they interpret, not necessarily to find typos, but also how do you interpret it, this email? Because Tim knows from his experience when we work together, I would send out emails that were more prevalent to like things and policy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to HR, everything's kind of a nuance. And so if you interpret it one way and I interpret another, there's some life advice for you. There we are. I think, I I think that's two tips. <laughs> stellar life advice, two tips for the price of one. Who would have thought it? And finally, I got my husband's um, pharmacy um, $30 taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, right. well, that's good. You see, it, it, this, this story had a 
beautiful ending. Yay. All right. What's your tip, Tim? Okay. Now, this is a tip I may have mentioned before, but it was a tip maybe I spoke about, you know, 30 episodes ago or something. So I thought maybe for our new listeners, this would be a tip that's worth reminding. So Sunday just gone, I went to Ikea. Ikea in Charlotte, North Carolina. And almost exclusively, everyone you tell that you go to Ikea will say, oh, did you spend all day in Ikea? Did you take a map? Did you take a GPS? Did you take supplies? Was it it like an entire week of your life in Ikea? Did your relationship fall apart while he was in there? And it's like, no, I've broken the Ikea system. I know how to do Ikea in a very straightforward way. So if you don't know, you go to Ikea, you go in the entrance and there's normally like an escalator or something. Mm-hmm. And then they take you into the showroom. And that showroom is a maze. There's a thousand million people in there. There's people with tape measures and stuff everywhere. And then even if you try and go through that showroom and not pay any attention to anything, it's like 40 minutes, 50 minutes to walk from there to the warehouse, which is where all the stuff is kept. And it's just who wants to do that so this is my stellar tip ikea system that works every time probably at least in the ikea i've been to so you go in go in the exit to the back of the checkouts walk along the back of the checkouts and one of those checkouts is a self-checkout in fact they have two in charlotte Mm -hmm. just barge through it like you own the place i see yep and then you are into the warehouse What you do then is have an idea of what you're going to buy and then look it up on the IKEA website on your phone and it will tell you how many they have in stock and the location in the warehouse. So you go to those locations in the warehouse, you pick the items you want, and then if you have less than 12 items, you can go through self-checkout and then you'll be in and out in 15 minutes. Or like we had a lot of stuff and we had to go through the regular checkouts, the whole process, and it was busy was less than 30 minutes. Look at you, Tim. So I have a question. Do you remember something about in Ikea, people like spotting whales or sharks? No. Have you ever heard that? So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and this would make your 30 minutes probably go longer. It would defeat your tip. There was something about people, like there's like this Ikea stuffed animal that's either a whale or a shark. And when you're going through Ikea, sometimes they're hidden in the displays. No, I, I think I, I think it's a shark because I've seen them for sale because hmm. using my method, you do miss out some of the stuff in the bottom hmm. of Ikea, which is like kitchenware and candles and stuff. But, you know, there's no reason to drive two and a half hours to Ikea to buy that stuff because you can get it anywhere. The stuff that you want to buy is the furniture, which you can only buy in Ikea. I mean, that's fair. But next time, if you have a little extra time, Tim, go shark hunting. Maybe that's what's taking people so long in Ikea. They're actually shark hunting. It could be. But I mean, I've been around that wet that um, (laughs) showroom the once and I'm done with that because because I've developed such a stellar system. I, I don't know. I just can't deviate from the system. I've told so many people about my stellar system. I could I could never break it. Plus, Hannah would probably be like, I'm ready to go eat the entire time. So, <laughs> oh, I mean, she she doesn't really like shopping at all. She was a early adopter of the Internet and shopping on the Internet. And if she can order it online rather than actually having to go somewhere physically to get it, she will do that absolutely every time. 
Well, I know that Hannah is very food driven. And when Tim goes on adventures, she's already picking the location they're going to eat. So the entire time they're in Ikea, she's probably like, and let's get over to the restaurant. <laughs> well, that was the thing. We we uh, we was pulling up onto Ikea Drive or Ikea Avenue, whatever it is, that takes yeah. you to where Ikea is. And then there was a Cheddar's and there was a Chili's. And she decided that Cheddar's would be a good option. See, so you were right. That, that decision was made even before we'd bought any of that uh, Swedish furniture. And as a girl after my own heart, because I'm always like, okay, so we're going to Roanoke today. Let me look at the restaurants near. <laughs> and have sometimes, had, have you ever eaten in Hollywoods in Roanoke? I don't think so. It's like Holland's exit. It's actually it's like a quirky little one-off. Hmm. It's sort of a diner type thing, but it's actually really nice. I like I like Hollywoods. You have to send me a link because I'm always looking for something new. There's this deli that was really cool, um, and I cannot remember the name of it. But it was very hole in the wall, kind of close to Valley View. Mm-hmm. And they had like a little bit of everything. I think I got an omelet. But sadly, they had closed down because hmm. it looked from the outside. It looked a little sketchy. But then when you walked it, it looked normal and the food was outstanding. But sadly, I don't think I think the outside scared too many people away. Well, well, that, well, that's a shame. And I know all of our UK listeners and our listeners in Brazil and you listeners in Australia and listeners in Germany will be very pleased to know about the food options available in Roanoke, Virginia. I mean, you never know when they'll be around. That's true. I mean, maybe this is more like a public service than a podcast. <laughs> and I would be able to give you a list. Try this place, try this place, try this place. <laughs> Uh, all right. So there's our tips. And also, if you do get stuck and you don't follow Tim's um, tip about Ikea because you're not listening and you are walking around the warehouse, look for whales or sharks, whichever they are. Whales or sharks. Maybe, I mean, I need to go back to Ikea to buy the final parts of our wardrobe system because there's one part <laughs> that was out of stock. So maybe when I'm in the warehouse, exclusively in the warehouse, I will see if I can find any whales or sharks or any other marine life just snap a picture and post it on the page if you do. <laughs> I found the whale. <laughs> now, have you heard about, have you ever eaten the Ikea food? Yeah, I have. I'm not not at the one in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. I, there's one in, in, in England. There's one in London, and I forget the name of where it is. It's like Park Royal or something like that. And I've been to that cafe, and they have dime cake, and they have Swedish meatballs and other well, such stuff. Apparently they have plant balls now. So like for meatballs, but they're plant balls for vegetarians. That's the only reason I asked. It's supposed to be really good. I, I, I didn't know that. I, I, I always avoid the restaurant because I thought they, if only they didn't do a vegetarian option. But when I'm there, I will check that out. It's new. I follow Cheap Lazy Vegan. Not This is not sponsored. She doesn't listen to us. If she is listening to us, please let me know because I would love that. But I follow her <laughs> on YouTube and she did a um, they sell them frozen. And then you can also get them in the thing. And they're plant balls. Hmm, fantastic. Yeah, they have a lot of frozen Swedish food. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with it being two and a half plus hours away. It wouldn't be frozen it when would, you got home. Be fr- Even if I put it in a cooler box, it's not going to be properly frozen when I get back. Fair enough. Well, anyway, next time you're in there, just look and see if ours has it. I can't guarantee everyone does. But I've heard good things about the plant balls. Okay, well, I, I will have a, I'll have a report on your desk first thing in the morning, Joy. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so let me just do a uh, quick CD of the week before we get into the topic, and it's Joy's topic this week. And this week is Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears. Never heard of it. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, he was, if you, if, you didn't, if you don't know Joy, he was the singer, original singer in Black Sabbath, 
and he's had a you know a reasonably good solo <laughs> career. And See I think the one he married to Sharon. <laughs> yes, and then he was involved in a TV show and all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> oh yeah, I think he's got two children or something. Yeah, I think I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, you know he's he's been around. Some some people know who he is. <laughs> all right. well, like, well, I just wanted to put, to pick out this particular album because, I mean, Ozzy has had lots of solo albums through his career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of his albums, early albums contain iconic tracks like Crazy Train and all that kind of stuff. But for me, No More Tears really is my favorite Ozzy solo album. And I think it's mostly because it has Zach Wilde playing guitar on it. Hmm. Well, that and one the, has Mama, I'm Coming Home on it, right? That's correct, yeah. And the, the, the unique thing about Mama, I'm Coming Home is that it was co-written by Lemmy. I did not know that. Yeah, Lemmy of Motorhead fame. In the credits, Ooh. it says Ian Kilminster, which is which was Lemmy's real name. And oh. Lemmy said he made more money in royalties on Mama, I'm Coming Home than he did for his entire career playing in Motorhead. That doesn't really surprise me because that song's played so much now. Like, I hear it all the time. Yeah, but it's, it's it's funny that the, the the you know the lyrics were written by Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, sorry, by uh, by Lemmy for Ozzy Osbourne. I would have never known that. I mean, Ozzy doesn't really write music, though. I'm assuming I've never heard no. of him writing music. I, I think you know. I think he he co-wrote a lot of that Sabbath stuff. But mm. you look at a lot of his albums, there are other writers involved. What other songs on the album are you a big fan of, Tim? Well, I like Mister Tinker Train. That's a that's a good track. And I don't want to change the world is a good track as well. And I said, Mama, I'm coming home, which you've just come up to. Desire. I mean, there are some re- really good tracks on here. And I really do love Zach Wilde's guitar playing. I mean, Zach, and I may have mentioned this before. You have to follow Zach Wilde on Instagram. He is incredibly hilarious. And then during the lockdown, when, when he couldn't tour, he would post videos in his local supermarket. And he, <laughs> and he would. In fact, like, let me demonstrate what Zach Wilde would do with this can of drink. He, you just see Zach Ward be like, <laughs> but like he'd do that in a supermarket with people around, and like <laughs> Zach Ward, you know, like a big guy and he's got a beard and he's dressed in you know rock and roll type clothes, and it's just hilarious that's so tim's humor too like i can see you really finding that whole i mean i find it funny but that's very tim humor as well <laughs> and the other thing he does sometimes is he he has satellite radio in his truck and he puts like 70s on seven on and there's some sappy love song and then he gives like he's giving the the guy or the girl advice and it's funny <laughs> I why have i never thought about doing that <laughs> But anyhow, I highly recommend Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears. It's a great album and uh, you can stream it on your streamer. I don't know how that works. Or go to your local thrift shop like Tim would advise and keep an eye out for it. Exactly. Or buy it on secondspin.com like I bought this one. Okay, well, that's fair too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's uh, that's your CD of the week. Okay, so this week it's Joy's topic and I know she's... Once again, excited about this particular topic. So over to you, Joy. This topic is the song doesn't mean what you think it means. 
Okay. <laughs> so we've kind of hit it on a few songs, but don't be what, you know, like we've talked about Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. There's some Billy Joel songs like Allentown, different things like that. Right. Ted, we brought up a few times, but mm-hmm. this one had some ones that I have never heard of. And I went on a hunt and I found a really good article from middle floss that goes through all of this. Um, but there's some of these that I would have never. And I, I even asked Charlie a few of these before I got on. I was like, what do you think they mean? We had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my favorite one. And Tim, if you know the story, by all means, you may know some of these. And I don't. Um, these are like somebody. And most of these are they were talking in some type of like, you know, TV show host type situation. And they asked the artist and the artist explains now are the exact interpretations. No, it's like, what was on your mind or what was your thought process when you wrote this song Mm -hmm. to keep that in perspective? It's not like this is exactly what the lyrics are saying. So the first one was closing time by Sydney Sonic. Yeah. I would imagine that is probably not about closing a pub or closing a bar because I can tell you having been in pubs in the UK and bars and clubs in the US, it's used equally in both those complete different continents for the same thing about closing the place down. And I bet that's probably not what it's about. Well, what's interesting to me is so closing time in America is generally 2 a.m. because a lot of different states don't allow you to drink alcohol after that. Right? You can't have alcohol out. There's a saying in America, nothing good happens at 2 a.m. But in the UK, from what I understand, is they party till like seven in the morning and then well, they'll go sleep all day. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, pubs used to close at 11 p.m. Hmm. And then some pubs had an extension till midnight, like the red line in Twickenham used to. And then they changed the licensing regulations where I think you could open 24 hours a day if you wanted to, but like there was local things that would stop you from doing that if you was close to a residential area, if it was near a school or some, something like that. But I think now, to some degree, pubs can open and close when they feel like it. Well, I think it's the club scene too, specifically for some reason in UK. I feel like they stay open a lot later than in America, but I don't know for sure. Obviously, I'm in America. So, you know, you're saying 2 a.m., everybody's got to leave. And I mm-hmm. assume that came from in America generally. In Virginia, after 2 a.m., like I've been in clubs, like they will literally take the alcohol from you, Tim, when they're closing. They'll mm-hmm. be like 10 minutes still, five minutes still. And if you have alcohol in your hand, you have to toss it and they will make you toss it. Um, because they could get in trouble if the police walk in and you're holding alcohol, right? Sure. So anyway, back to the point, which all that means is a bunch of people chuck a bunch of alcohol at once, which is probably not good either. But (laughs) (laughs) the song, though, is really funny. So apparently he was um, his wife was getting ready to have a baby. So closing time, this is an exact quote. My wife and I were expecting our first kid soon after I wrote the song when I was writing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I had birth on the brain. I was stuck with the funny idea that once you have the baby, you're bouncing it from the womb. Like you're just kicking it out. And that's where closing time comes from. Oh, okay. I would have never guessed that in a million years. No. And to be honest, I've never really hard listened to the lyrics of that song. It's just like closing time. You know, time for everyone to go and gather their whiskey and beer. So, I mean, he obviously had to make it a pop hit. So he brings the alcohol in, makes it about a club. But he said that's what he was thinking about. It's just a funny pun about having a baby. Well, there you go. I, I honestly never knew that. I didn't either. <laughs> and like, it, it's funny, though how he probably had that idea and the original lyrics were completely different. You know what I mean? And then he kept working on it until he made the pop hit. Um, This one I'm going to skip because we've already talked about. This one was weird to me, but Charlie said 
that in the music video, if you paid attention, but I have not confirmed this, you would have figured this one out. Total Eclipse of the Heart, Tim. Do you know what it's about? Bonnie Tyler. Uh, no, I've got that album. Um, I've listened to that song many times. I know there is a literal video remake of it where people are turning around and stuff like that. It's the... <laughs> but but what the what the actual meaning of the song is, I really don't know. So basically, it's written by his name is Steinman, Jib Steinman. Yeah, it's a so, guy who wrote, he co-wrote. Well, he wrote "Bat Out of Hell." Yes. So what he's saying is, it's a love song for vampires. Now Charlie swears that if you go back and watch the video, they look like vampires. But that might be Charlie. He's not good at remembering music things. I have to go back. He conf- I cannot confirm or deny that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> but he said it before I even said it. That's the weird thing. Charlie goes, well, I know in the video they're vampires. And then I was like, wait a second. Are they vampires? Or did you just think they were vampires? Because what he's saying is, um, I actually wrote the song to be a vampire love song. In the title, Vampires in Love, was because I was working on the musical Nosferatu, which, mm-hmm. you know, is like the most famous vampire of all time. And so if you listen to the lyrics, they're actually really like vampire lines. It's all about darkness, the power of darkness and love in a dark place. Because oh, wow. it's a total eclipse of the heart. Do you know, I mean, that, that actually now makes sense. I mean, I, know. I, I need to see the video. And, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Jim Steinman would write a vampire love song, having written Bat Out of Hell and Bat Out of Hell 2 and Bat Out of Hell 3. There's all those themes of sort of vampires and that stuff going on in there. Well, sadly, his musical of Nosferatu was called The Dance of the Vampires. It was a flop and lost $12 million. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So people weren't that interested in a vampire musical. I bet I had some good music, though. I was going to say, he's a good music writer. It's probably just the idea of it. You know what I mean? It didn't draw people in marketing-wise or something. Sure. It probably didn't catch. You know, there was a moment in time where you had True Blood. That was a very Mm -hmm. popular show that was on HBO. And then they had another one, which was a bit more PG, which was Twilight. Yep. And there was a kind of vampire moment when everything vampire was very cool. Now, I don't know when he wrote that song, but it was probably pre-True Blood or post um, Twilight can confirm. So this, so his um, dance of the vampires was in 2002. True blood was in 2008. Now Twilight, I know I was Googling it as he was saying, I was giving a goop was moot was books before it was movies, but it's also 2008. So yeah. it was, he was ahead of his time. And you know, I, I can, I can do a Stella Bill Compton impersonation. How are you going to do that for the people, Tim? (laughs) How does it go? (laughs) (laughs) Tim doesn't want to do it because I put him on the spot. All right. I've got it. I've got it. It goes, I'm not human, Suki. I'm (laughs) vampire. (laughs) I want you to isolate that on (laughs) it and just use that for the rest of time. Nobody else finds that funny. I found it hilarious. <laughs> Isn't it, it is completely identical to Bill Compton and True Blood. It really was, actually. <laughs> I tried to watch True Blood, made two episodes in, it was like, no, thank you. And cut it off. Well, the problem, we, we were really into it. Like the first th- three seasons or so, four seasons was really yeah. good. The first couple were f- amazing. Season three and four, yeah, it was right. You got into that whole American Vampire League thing. and But what happened then is that 
everybody became a creature and then you got fairies into it and mm-hmm. then that's what always happens it. so like there's a show called the originals that i tried to watch and then there was this one that was about like a academy or something and it's like you start out with like one physical like you're talking about werewolves and then they're they start adding in vampires and this and that it always becomes bigger does that make sense yeah and it got too much and we never we didn't even bother finishing it in the end because it just got there was too much going on everyone was was a creature everyone was a shapeshifter and mm. it's just like oh i can't be doing with this <laughs> went too far though tim here's the question if you were a mythical character you could pick one type, think vampire, think werewolf, magician, whatever. What do you think you'd want to be? Um, I think I'd probably want to be He-Man. Is that a, is that a mythical it's character? It's not a mythical character, but I'll <laughs> let you have it. I would want to be a wizard. And the reason is, it's because, you know, I love Harry Potter. But also, I remember one day when I used to do, I worked at the deli in Food Line. I had to break everything down and clean it top to bottom every night, right? Mm-hmm. I had this theory that if I were a witch, I could wave my wand and all the cleaning would be done for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I think about that when I'm like doing the dishes. I'm like, if I were just a wizard, I wouldn't have to clean these dishes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, personal problems, everybody. Yeah. So before this, before we got on to record, I was asking Tim about his Morrissey famous clips. And the reason I was, was on this list that I was talking to Charlie about was Smith's. And I was trying to explain to Charlie kind of like Morrissey's melancholy personality type. You just have to know him, right? He's a character. Yeah, and he's, so, got, he's got kind of a militant personality, but at the same time, he's kind of melancholy and... Very blunt, but very sappy yeah, at the same time. It's yeah, hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was explaining to Charlie because the Smiths are on this list. Um, and the way he explains it is very, let me find them because I want to bring this up. Um, it's very um, Morrissey-esque, I guess. So I had Tim, um, where did they go? I'm not losing my mind. What song was it? I was going to say, what was the song? You, oh. hadn't, you hadn't declared the song. I've got to find it on the list. Oh, here we go. It's there somewhere, Joy. I, I imagined it, apparently. Tim, did I imagine it? All right, we'll find it on the list later. But anyway, I was asking Tim about Morrissey to explain the way he's explaining this um, song. And what I find it, he's just like, it's a poem. And it's not supposed to be literal. Wait till it's, it's hilarious. But I have to, am I losing my mind, Tim? I swear it was on here. It's it doesn't not, matter. It's not girlfriend in a coma, is it? Or panic? It might be. Or panic. The Smiths. I'm losing my mind, everybody. It was on here. Oh, it was Girlfriend in a Coma. Got you. There we go. But anyway, the way he explains it is he basically just says that one night he woke up um, during the AIDS crisis. It's a Mm -hmm. song about AIDS. I did not know Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But he said that he woke up and it was like it's about lives and heartbreaking, but it's not supposed to be taken literal. It's not literally about AIDS. And he's going back and forth in this quote. And it's the most Morrissey quote I've ever heard. I was trying to get Charlie to understand how he speaks and how he thinks. So what's the name of the comedian you sent him? Vic Reeves. And I was like, watch this, which is also the most British humor ever. But the way the little puppet is talking, explain to Charlie what I meant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so moral of the stories. But yes, yeah, he says it's supposed to be about the AIDS epidemic, which I did not know. 
No. Uh, but he said he kind of like woke up and was thinking of a poem. Um, and basically because it came out, you know, in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic and during the height of that early 90s, late 80s. And that's where it came from. But he's like going back and forth. He's like, it's literal, but it's not literal, but it is literal. And I'm like, of course he is. I should say to our listeners, pull up Vic Reeves' Big Night Out and you're looking for Morrissey the Consumer Monkey. Morrissey, as interpreted in a monkey puppet who gives consumer advice. And that's what I was trying to explain to Charlie when he was like, well, that that's kind of weird the way he's like going back and forth. And I was like, but that's just his personality. And I was like, here, watch this puppet and you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> it took me 20 minutes to find the song, but it's there. <laughs> but it was just really funny because I was like trying to explain it to him, but also trying to explain his personality. Wasn't there something about him with the switch or like a like a a, a branch or something in his pocket? Yeah, he appeared famously on top of the pots with a bush or or some flowers hanging out of his back pocket. I I think we may have spoken about that before, but it's a legendary top of the pops performance with uh, Morrissey and foliage. So there's another example (laughs) of his personality. But yeah, he's saying it's about AIDS AIDS epidemic, but don't take it seriously. But it's also about AIDS, which is pretty serious. So I don't know what that means, everybody. But if you're wondering about his personality, watch the puppet. That's the moral of the story. All right. So the next one is The Cures, Just Like Heaven. Okay. I'm I'm very familiar with that song. I like The Cure. I like The Love Cats and um, Lullaby. And it has a really cool video that goes with it. I've seen that before, and it is awesome. I think they're one of those bands that people don't know they know, though. Because, you know, like, like I would say... A few of their like love song plays on the radio all the time, but mm-hmm. it's not like a song that you think about. I don't explain it. Yeah, sure. They're one of those bands that some people are really hardcore into the cure. And mm-hmm. then for a lot of people, I would say they don't exist, but they're not somebody they think about a lot. <laughs> it is it. It's like, and I feel like, and you can quote me on this, their music's used in movies a lot too. Mm-hmm. So like emphasize time periods, they probably have a lot more money than we realize. But anyway, so just like heaven, which we were just saying is basically, okay. So the cures, they called it, they said love song is one of the, the 25 greatest love songs of all time, apparently. Um, but just what is this about? So basically he says it's about a shortness of breath, which sounds really weird. It does. Okay. Me and Charlie were trying to figure that out. So basically he went on a trip with his girlfriend and he says the song is about hyperventilating kissing and falling to the floor and so he says the dissection of the open line show me show me how you do that trick is less obvious according to the singer the line is equal parts of reference to his affinity for performing magic tricks as well as the rest of the song is about hyperventilating hmm so is he is he some kind of veritable pen and teller in his spare time I guess <laughs> he says it's a seduction trick as well. I, it's kind of like Morrissey. I don't know how to explain what he's actually trying to say, <laughs> but that's what he said. <laughs> I will say that like Robert Smith from The Cure, he is one of these very British characters. And I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen the video clip. He was on the um, either a Grammy red carpet or MTV Music Video Awards red carpet. 
and there was some young presenter who was like really hyped up. Robert Smith, Robert Smith, come here. Wow, you're going to be the winner of the MTV Music Video Awards. Are you excited? And he just walked over and he said, like, deadpan. Well, he said, I'm not as excited as you. <laughs> so him and Morrissey have something in common. <laughs> it's so funny. That's hilarious, honestly. I love that. I mean... I can't blame him. But anyway, apparently it's about magic tricks, hyperventilating and falling in love, everyone. Well, well there we are. I, I didn't know that. There we go. <laughs> it's so <laughs> random. But to be fair, I've told you guys many times I can't write music. So, like, I have, like, no way to judge, like, wherever your inspiration comes from, just play with it, right? That's true. I mean, I I've, I don't think I've ever written a full set of lyrics ever. I did I did that um, Freak Jam made everyone a star track, and I t- took the original video killed the radio star, and then I just rewrote parts of it to fit the narrative. But to actually create a music piece like that and write the lyrics, I've never done that. I, I can't. I, I've tried, but like my brain doesn't. But this goes to show you that people who are really good at it, inspiration could come from anywhere, right? A poem, sure. AIDS, this guy's talking about hyperventilating, who knows? Sure. I mean, like when you work with someone like Ian Husbands, who wrote, who writes amazing lyrics and he just pulls that stuff right out and he wrote all the lyrics on the Frequency album and you actually listen hard to what he's saying. I mean, they're very thoughtful, insightful commentary that he writes, but I don't know where that comes from. I couldn't do that. Nope. It's a different skill to be a musician and to be a songwriter, period. Mm-hmm. Very much is. All right. So which is why there's also a lot of musicians who don't make it as musicians, but write songs for thousands of other artists. And that's where their money really comes from. Yeah. I was listening to an NPR thing the other day. You familiar with the pop singer Kathy Dennis? Mm -hmm. She has written so many songs. I mean, she had a very small pop career. And in fact, my friend John the Bass played in a band for a little while. But but Kathy Dennis has, has written so many good songs, including Kylie's I Can't Get You Out of My Head. I've heard she's written for Britney Spears, Janet. I've heard about her, Janet Jackson, a few other people. That's crazy. It's kind of like Katy, not Katy Berry. Um, what was I thinking? Kesha. Kesha had like, you know, a few, like maybe two to three songs, but she's wrote music for so many other pop stars, mm-hmm. like tons. Um, and there's a few other, uh, the girl who sang all about that bass. What is her name? Megan um, Trainer. She wrote music for a bunch of other artists too. Okay. She's actually got more songs that are like pop hits for other artists than her own. Well, there we go. And then that swings back to our friend uh, Lemmy, who wrote Mama I'm Coming Home. See, look, look at that. This is a this is almost like a songwriter's episode. <laughs> Goes full circle. Well, it is literally what the songs mean. So yeah. there we are. <laughs> so this one is a little bit more obvious. I don't know how familiar you are with this one, but I know you know who Maroon 5 is. Do you remember that song Harder to Breathe? Yes, that was. I think that was on the first Maroon Five album, and then that was when the world was first introduced to Heart to uh, Maroon Five. And I've actually played that at jam nights years it ago. Is, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It's kind of like a hit. I could hear you guys playing. So mm-hmm. basically, it's a little bit more obvious. He says, and Adam Levine does write a lot of his own music. So he says what it was, was it was in 2002. He was on an interview with MTV. He said it was the 11th hour and the label just wanted more songs. The song surely came from somebody wanting to throw something at the wall. It was just the last crack, crack like it was getting harder to breathe. That's where the song comes from. Um, I wanted to make the record. The label was applying pressure, but I'm glad they did because they got the song out. There we are. That's why he was suffocating. 
There we are. I do know with Maroon 5, their guitarist James Valentine has a signature Music Man guitar. I do know that about them. I and would the, not have known you would have known that, Tim. Yeah, and the, uh, and the joke is, it's like, I haven't heard any guitar on a Maroon 5 album in about five years. <laughs> what's, what's going on? Where's, what's the point of having a signature guitar? Did you watch the infamous Maroon 5 halftime show? No. When you have a moment, Tim, and you need a laugh, I hate to say this because I don't know what exactly was happening in that moment, Tim. But generally, old Maroon 5, kind of like old Katy Perry, they were relatively talented. And um, Avril Levine, that is not his name, Adam Levine. Adam Levine. <laughs> <laughs> he can play multiple instruments. He's got, a you know, that high, that kind of national high voice. He's mm-hmm. got a nice radio sound. But for some reason, I don't know if it was the set list. I don't know. Because I don't know about you, Tim, but I've had performances where, like, something just throws me off and it's not the top of my game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, I'm just, something's off and I can't place why. Um, we've all had those moments. That's what it felt like when you watch it. And it's so awkward. It's almost cringy how awkward it is because the music and him and nothing matches. And then they've got that one rapper who comes out for like five minutes. And the big boy was actually, is his name. He was actually kind of fun. <laughs> and then they go back. It, it's bad. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I think the last halftime show that I actually watched was probably the Katy Perry one. And then I, and then I saw the Black Eyed Peas one. And I think at that point I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get involved well, in this. I like the J-Lo and Secura one, though it was controversial. I liked it. They sounded good. It was fun. I had fun watching it, right? Because music should be fun. But this one's weird. And I remember it because my friend had gotten, my friend Molly is pretty, she really used to be really big on Maroon 5 when they first came out. Like it was one of her bands. Mm -hmm. So she was really excited. Well, she had gotten really sick and they had gave her coding calls. (laughs) (laughs) And she says that in her coding induced high, it sounded really good in the moment. She loved it. (laughs) And then she went back and listened to it was like, oh. (laughs) And then also I do know I had a friend who gave me some insider information. Adam Levine occasionally comes and stays at Mountain Lake up here. Oh. He has a fake name that he gives, but he does. What, what is is it like Adam Ramon? I don't know. I'll have to find out. <laughs> I haven't I haven't called to find out what the name was. But they had when I had a friend who worked there who said they got noticed he was coming and it was a fairly thing. For those who don't know, Mountain Lake is where they filmed Dirty Dancing in our area, and it's like what, 30 minutes, 40 minutes away? Sure. So, but it doesn't really matter. It's just like a nice resort area. And because Dirty Dancing was filmed there, they're doing a TV show there now too called something about Dirty Dancing. Um, that's We have occasional celebrities and stuff show up. But apparently Adam Levine goes. Well, but, well, there. well there we are. Well, well, if I, if I see him, I'll bring up his, uh, his Super Bowl performance. <laughs> Ask him, what was the deal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what exactly was going on with that? Because, you know, Joy was a little confused, I'll be honest. (laughs) Well, I hate to say it, and it could be. This is purely speculation. Don't come for me, Internet. I'm speculating here. Might have been alcohol or drugs. Could be. Because I think he was a little. Maybe somebody wasn't sober. Maybe nerves had a few shots before he got on stage. Just threw him off his game or something. I don't know. 
Well, we, we, we will never know unless we bump into him. If I see him in the uh, Walmart in Christiansburg on the way up to Mountain Lake, I'll, I'll approach him and I'll ask. <laughs> Tim, next time you're performing and he's just sitting in the audience as he does, <laughs> just let him know. We were curious to know what the deal was. Of course, I, it could I, have been anything. Yeah, I once had the bass player of Status Quo sit in the audience while I was performing. Is that, is that a similar claim to fame? John yeah. Rhino Edwards, he was just sitting there watching me play. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Was that exciting or was that awkward or was it nerve wracking? It was, it was none of it. I was just playing. I was like, oh, look, that's Rhino Edwards from Status Quo. So you didn't even know it was there until after you were playing. Okay. Well, I saw him oh, and he was, he was sitting there drinking his glass of red wine. It was in, um, I think it was in Isleworth, I think, or Brentford, Isleworth, I think. See, that's a true professional. Tim does a carries in the audience. He gets the same level. If it's Joe Bob or if it's a bass player for Status Quo, you're getting the same level <laughs> of professionalism. There All we right. go. So this one is way more obvious, but you don't want to think it's what it is. And I can only give partials on this one because this is a PG podcast. It is Brian Adams, summer 69, Tim. And it means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Well, I will say if you listen to the song all the way through as it's as he's going through the chorus, as it goes out, one of the last things he says, me and my baby in a 69. So apparently he was only born in 59. So he only would have been 10 in 69. That's the first <laughs> thing this is saying. So I will not go into details. If you don't know what that means, give it a goog because we're not going into that one. But it means exactly <laughs> what you think it means. Here I was thinking that it was some heartful. Um, no, no. He, he did recently confirm, however, he did get his first surreal strict six string at the five and dime which is a Canadian store, Five and Dime. Huh. I never really thought about it, but I guess, yeah. That is true. <laughs> All right. So the next one is one that I think I may have mentioned on the show. If people don't know, some do know. I've watched, I think I watched one of those like behind the scene type things on VH1 back in the day or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it's Third Eye Blanche, Semi-Charmed Life. And it's about Crystal Beth. Literally. Okay. So in the song, he says a bright, shiny feeling or something like that. He's like, you know, it's literally talking about it's a very upbeat song. If you're not familiar with it, Tim, think very 90s, always like shiny, happy people, mm -hmm. upbeat. And it seems very happy and innocent. But he's just talking about he used to. Um, so in the early 90s, so radio purists in the early 90s probably missed the fact the upbeat third eye, third eye blonde anthem is a um, is about crystal meth. The two center triggering words in the line are doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break away. It literally says that in the thing, um, but it kind of gets masked in the radio version. If you're not, it says really fast, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't pay attention, you don't know what he's saying doing crystal meth until you break. Um, so what makes the song such as what what made him make a serious topic so light and bouncy um, said that it's literally supposed to be a jealous fixation of the bright and shiny feeling you get when you're on drugs. Hmm. Well, 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 well there we go. It kind of makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I know. I never knew that. I mean, I, I've not I'm not super familiar with this song, but I know this song. <laughs> um, but that, I certainly didn't. That wasn't my takeaway listening to it. I. I only knew it after I heard it, if that makes sense. And then you go back and listen, kind of like when you listen to Jumper by Third Eye Blind, you might not pick up on the guy trying to jump off the building to sure. himself. But then he's like, you know, here, friend, let me help you get you off that ledge. It's literally a ledge. 
Yeah, I, I wonder whether Third Eye Blind, whether his style of writing is heavy topics in a light style. Maybe that's his, maybe that is his, his style. It's possible. But anyway, there we go. So everybody knows. All right. So the next one is, and this one might be one you know, because I've heard this before. It's American Girl by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Now, this is a song I am very familiar with. I mean, I'm not... A, Petty super fan, but as mm-hmm. far as like the hits with Petty, I mean they are absolutely fantastic. Mary Jane's Last Dance, Free Falling. I mean, there's a hundred and one to choose from. But I'm, I know I'm familiar with American Girl, but what what am I missing from my many listens of this song? So apparently, there's an urban legend that people think it's about, and he denies it, though he never directly says what it means. So. It says Tom Petty's 1977 standard wasn't inspired by a University of Florida girl who died by suicide, which many people thought that it was. Though mm-hmm. the song's second verse references a girl standing alone on her balcony and could hear cars rolling by on the 441, which is a highway that runs by in Gainesville by the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, Petty shot down the misunderstanding on numerous occasions. In the book Conversation with Petty, Heart, um, the Lee Heartbreaker was quoted as it's become a huge urban myth down in Florida. That's really just not at all true. The song has nothing to do with that, but the story really gets around. Um, Heartbreaker's guitarist Mike Campbell has backed Petty up by saying some of the interpreters of the song took the lyrics to face value. Some people take it literally and out of context. To me, it's just a really beautiful song. So they never say what it's actually about. They just say it's not about whatever that urban <laughs> yeah i mean i think that 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 is the talent of a great songwriter is that you leave it ambiguous enough so you can interpret it in any way that you wish so when i was going to school what people don't know is my minor in college was musical theater when i first it was in college that was my major and i changed it because i became a realist and realized i wasn't gonna make anybody right Mm-hmm. Sorry have to break everybody's heart, but that's life. Um, so when I first started taking my theater classes and I was learning, you know, a lot about acting and different things like that and my voice work, that was what she always said. So like a good actor or a good producer or a good um, director, you don't have to know what the artist meant to have your own interpretation and a really good play leads that to you. So you can take the play and adapt it to whatever it means to you. And that comes across better on stage. Okay. I mean, I mean that, that, that makes perfect sense. And it's much like the song thing, like about how mm-hmm. a play could be the same where you, you making it your own through your interpretation and you're interpreting those lyrics, interpreting that the words and all that kind of stuff. That makes perfect sense. I was always told by all my theater professors, don't take it too seriously. Don't try to overthink what they meant. What does it mean to you? Yeah. There you go. There we are. Look, look at this, Joy. Acting, acting lessons as well. I mean, we, we cover so many areas on this podcast. They've learned so much about us, Tim. You've officially confirmed your age. They now know what my musical, my major was in college. <laughs> <laughs> Though it did become psychology, I ended up minoring in theater. And I got more boring because being an adult is hard. <laughs> being an adult is terrible. I, I, I don't really consider Overrated. myself an adult. I like to think of myself as a child, but with more insider knowledge. Yeah, that's fair. Or I feel like I just wake up every day and I'm making it up as I go. Yeah, I mean, that too. But like, <laughs> I, I think when I was a kid and you'd see adults, they would just seem like very old. I mean, in reality, they're probably people in their 30s or 40s. And you see people that just seem so old and old in their ways and old fashioned and not with it. 
But now when I wake up, I'm obviously that age too, but I don't feel like that inside. I feel like a kid inside. I, I'm still the same kid that like when it's five o'clock at work, I want to run out going, yay, time to leave. That's still, it's still in my brain. So we were at, you've met my husband many times now, and you know, he's a big kid. And, Char- and Tim can confirm, if all the people you've met, Charlie can come off as a pretty big kid. Yeah, sure. he's got a big imagination big thoughts we were at clater lake with my family and every time we're at clater lake like if we have like like pool floats or something or like we were all playing with like a volleyball just hitting it kids will want to come and play with you right like they're just little kids they want to hang out they always ask charlie <laughs> and he's like why am i always the one that the kid asks hey can i play with you and both my mom and my twin sister looked at me and went because you're basically a large child <laughs> 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 so they feel like you can relate <laughs> anyway i mean i get it I, I as i said in in inside me i just feel like a child really and that is not an insult, everyone. It's okay to be happy and be childlike. Didn't mean it like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to be an. I don't want to be an adult. I don't want to be an, like that. I just want to just want to be the same person I was when I was about twelve years old. Really. <laughs> so there's this. So a few weeks ago, whenever I said or not, it's been weeks. It's been a few months now. In April, when I win so some forty one, there's a, um, a line about not becoming another casualty of society. Don't want to fall in line, become another victim of society. And I like now I'm like screaming it like, man, I'm an HR manager. I really did become a casualty of society. (laughs) (laughs) But on the inside, I'm still a true rebel. (laughs) Sure. But I mean, on some level, you you have to play the game to make money. I mean, I I think both of us, if we didn't have to work a day job, I mean, I love my job. I have a great job. But if mm-hmm. I didn't have to do a day job, I probably wouldn't do a day job because there's a thousand and one other things that are cool to me that I'd rather do. Sam would rather sit there and just play on his guitar for three hours and watch Knight Rider on repeat. Well, Knight Rider is that on a Saturday, obviously. You don't want to watch Knight Rider every day because it will burn it out. Saturday is your Knight Rider day. All right. So then some days it's um, going to be Flash Gordon. <laughs> then other yeah. days it might be the A-Team, but... Ghostbusters yeah. as well, but I would probably spend my day singing Spice Girls karaoke on repeat if I could, but they won't let me do that every day. Sure. And then, then go off and have adventures and travel and things like that. Oh, I know. Those are things though. Like if I always think about like, what would I do if I just, one day I looked in my bank account and there were just like 17 zeros after the number. Where would I go? What would I do? <laughs> I know exactly what I would do. And this is the geekiest geek geek thing ever. I would go to California and I would go to all the Knight Rider filming locations. And then I would watch the clip while I was there and take photographs. That is incredibly geeky, but I would do that. I would also like to drive coast to coast, which is something I've never done. Hmm. I don't know what I would do. I need to think this through because I've never, I've never thought that that moment would happen. So I, haven't given any <laughs> I think the first thing I would do, well, is I would do the most obvious thing and like pay off my car and all the non-fun stuff. But then past that, I think it'd be traveling. I just like find every way possible. I probably just go to the local air, the, go up to Roanoke airport and be like, I got $500. Where will this ticket take me? And just go, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just go on an adventure, see where I end up. Maybe yeah. I end up in Bosnia, <laughs> or maybe I end up in, in um, Illinois. You never know. 
Well, if you're flying out of Roanoke, you're going to end up in Charlotte or you're going to end up in Atlanta to be fair, or Florida, maybe. Maybe New York on a good day, but there's, your, your options of, direct, of flying out of Roanoke are not that great. Well, so for people who don't know what he's talking about, Roanoke's not an international airport. Our closest international airport is going to be Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. And you'll probably end up in Charlotte flying off Lufthansa, the German airline that brings you to like Munich or Frankfurt. That's the hub. And then you end up somewhere in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, your flights out of Roanoke are mostly to other hubs, though it yeah. does. They do fly to New York City and they fly to Florida. And when I went to Greece, we flew out of Charlotte. We still ended up in like New Jersey or something. I don't remember. We went yeah. there and then we flew. Yeah, you you may. Did you go to like Roanoke to Charlotte? Charlotte to. <laughs> Jersey. We just went to Charlotte to Jersey. I didn't go to Roanoke. I met. I, w- I flew out of Charlotte. So Charlotte to Jersey and then Jersey to wherever else you went. Munich, Munich and then Munich to Athens. Yeah, that's a lot of traveling. It was not fun. And then when I flew out of Charlotte to go to Spain, I think I flew directly from Charlotte to Madrid. Well, no, we went to Munich, then Madrid. I lie. Munich's always, you always had a planning in Germany for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, one one time I went to, um, I think it was New York City, and it was like London to Paris, Paris to somewhere, somewhere Mm. to somewhere, somewhere to New York. It was very cheap, but there was a lot of connections. And it's by the end of that, you're like, oh, it's all day. When I used to live in Salt Lake City, I one time flew from Charlotte to Vegas over Salt Lake City. (laughs) (laughs) Then landed in Vegas and then flew back to Salt Lake City because it was cheaper. I, I tell make it you make what, sense to make it make sense <laughs> for the people listening to this podcast. Is this a travel podcast now? <laughs> I know they're probably the point, I don't care where you flew. <laughs> what, what makes you think I've ever cared where you landed that one time you flew to <laughs> Australia? Whatever. Yeah, right, and then, and then, yeah, and then I went to Hudson News, and then I had five <laughs> bucks left over, and I bought a Kit Kat and a copy of the whatever, and oh. What what a good time I had. spent way too much money on a uh, food in the airport because oh. it always costs a million dollars. <laughs> Lord, they tried to sell me one of those pillows, and I was like, absolutely not. Anyway. <laughs> 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 Looked at the Sky magazine for the millionth time while I was on the airplane. All right. So what interesting thing, though, that is actually about travel that I was not expecting. The Athens airport is much tinier than I was expecting. For some reason, I just thought because it's like a big city. They didn't even have like, so when we flew out and when we flew in, they had to do a, they didn't have like, you know, like the tunnel that connects you to the airport. No, Mm -hmm. they had like a little trolley that let us out and we had to climb up just regular stairs onto the plane. Yeah, I've done that before. Some some airports, some airports are set up like that or not all the uh, terminals have air bridges, which is the word. No, but for some reason, I assumed Athens would because it's a pretty large city. I thought it's just it's just how the airport is set up i th- i think i flew to jersey not jersey as in united states jersey jersey as in the island between england and france on yeah. all the planes there you there were no air bridges you had to walk up the stairs to the aircraft i felt like i was flying on a private plane for a minute but anyway <laughs> <laughs> the worst though is when you get on the air bridge tim and that hot air hits you and you're not expecting it Sure. You've been on the cold play. <laughs> All right. Back to the music. This is a music podcast, everyone. Vaguely. Right. 
<laughs> up for debate. So yeah. the next one is one that is, I think people think they know what it's about. And it sounds like it's what you think it's about, but it's not what it's about, which is kind of the whole episode, actually, now that I say that out loud. All right, to the song. It's London Call in the Clash. So, yeah, t- tell, me, t- tell me what it's about. So... Um, the Clash's most scathing political statement, as most people think, is less about the state of British po- politics and more about Joe Strummer's personal fear of drowning. Oh, wow. Um, so in a dissection of London column by The Wall Street Journal, Mick Jones mentioned the band's nervousness regarding a 1979 London Even Standard headline about the possibility of the Tham, Thames, Thames River, whatever the that Thames. is. It's a Thames. Okay, whatever Tim said, overflowing and flooding London. How did the clash react to the news? We flipped uh, like they flipped out. Um, the nagging fear of drowning propelled Strummer's um, first drafts of the song's lyrics. So wow. and then at the end, he said um, <laughs> he joked about the band sink or swim anxiety. He goes, I guess we were a little bit ahead of the time of global warming, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they were leading it <laughs> yeah so apparently it got so bad it was an anxiety you know he's having really bad anxiety about this that it was like a doomsday for him and he wrote the song well and you know later on in the 80s they built the thames flood barrier which was actually to stop london flooding and then you know they would have written that song way before the the, the uh the thames yeah, flood was barrier 70s. was ever built there you go. Well, maybe they were a big factor in getting built. But most people think, because, you know, The Clash is a punk band, kind of like the Sex Pistols or something. They're known mm-hmm. for that kind of. But apparently it's not a political statement at all. They were literally worried about London flooding. There we go. Do you want an interesting fact why the Thames is called the Thames? No, but I'll take. I almost said no. I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, I was going to tell say, you. No, I don't know it. But yes, what is it? <laughs> All right. What is it now that I said no? (laughs) Well, well, up to the reign of King Henry VIII, it was known as the Thames, which is why it's spelt the way it is. King Henry VIII had a lisp, and whenever he said Thames, it was and he didn't like how it was pronounced, and people used to make fun of him. So he decreed it was called the Thames, so it didn't make his lisp more pronounced. I was going to say Thames because that's how I read it. But then I was like, I don't think that's right because I've heard of something, something, you know, I've heard people say it differently. But then I was like, I'll let Tim say it because he's going to know. But just to parallel off of that, I was going to say, no, I don't know this fact. <laughs> so I thought Tim asked me, no, not, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> people out there are probably like, rude. All right. So, oh, here's another one that everyone's familiar with. It's the Macarena. Yes. Now, I know this song very well. And we have spoken in the Christmas in July episode about the Christmas Macarena. So what is the you know, this is a very deep song. This is a this is a this is one of those kind of deep, meaningful songs. So tell me about what this is about. <laughs> so it's it's not as deep and meaningful as you made it sound. But so the whole thing is it's kind of, you know, people are paying attention to it because it's very happy go lucky and you're dancing. And most of the listeners don't understand Spanish, but it's actually about a young woman who cheated on her boyfriend with two of his friends while he was enlisting in the army. Oh, dear. <laughs> So not as deep as you made it sound. <laughs> there you go. That's what I, the Macarena is about. I didn't know that. And there's like actions and all this kind of stuff that goes with it and a dance. And Do you know how to do the Macarena, Tim? Uh, I've seen it done. 
at weddings and stuff, but I can't say I really know how to do it. I know how to do the electric slide and the cha-cha slide. And I've, I'm probably more familiar with blagging my way through that, but the Macarena, <laughs> probably not. I know it very well, <laughs> which probably does not surprise you. Okay, this is one that I think is weird because I don't, you know, this is a song that's been used in like commercials and stuff, but it's not necessarily what you think it's that. It's Sarah McLaughlin's Angel. Okay. So, you know, like it's always used for like, like dogs, like give us money and commercials and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So I've always assumed that's what it meant, but it says, you know, <laughs> the top headline on this article says, just donate to your local pet shelter. We get it. It's an uplifting song about finding solace at your lowest plate through comforting arms of an angel. You know, it's like in the arms. <laughs> anyway, so. A sweet man is just carried by McLaughlin's heavily voice, but she does have a pretty voice and piano turns. It turns out the angel is heroin. Oh, specific. Anything someone might use to escape themselves at low points. Uh, McLaughlin wrote the song following a brutal two year stint of touring and recording. She read a Rolling Stone article about Smashing Pumpkins um, touring keyboardist Jonathan Mullen overdosing on heroin and felt moved by his struggles and drug addicts. And so what she's talking about is when you're at your lowest moments, the angels, whatever brings you out of it. And sadly, for some people, they resort to things like alcohol or drugs. That's true. But I suppose when in the uh, ads for dog shelters and and things like that, I suppose that you, you could you could substitute the, uh, the yeah. drugs for, <laughs> for, a, for a rescue pet. I don't know. Yeah, because it's literally saying in the arms of the angel, the people who's coming to save the animals are the angels, right? Sure. It's not supposed to be literal, but that's I just thought that was interesting because I had never thought about it like that. And the fact that it was written about, you know, um, the keyboards from the Smashing Pumpkins, I thought that was kind of cool. And she's got a gorgeous voice. I mean, just sure. Totally. But I don't actually know any other song by her off the top of my head. I, I can't think of a single single one. She's got a beautiful voice, but I really there may be something obvious we're missing, Tim, but I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I know her as the lady who does the song for pets. <laughs> that's what I know her as. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, that's not a, a bad thing. At least you know for something. Heck, that means that song's been used in so many commercials now. Maybe she never had to make another song. No, I mean, like, I mean, licensing is where the money is made. I mean, I don't know. Okay, I mean, that's possible. Well, if you're listening, Sarah McLaughlin, and there's some obvious music me and Tim are missing out on, it, please let us know. We will yeah, let we, you on we the show. Would, we will be delighted to speak to you. Well, I tell you what, Joy, I think looking at the time, we probably have about time for about one more. Okay, I've got one more. Let me pick which one I think is the best. Hmm. Okay, I'll do this one because we talked about it in a previous episode. You okay. talked about it in your last episode, Tim. It's Hey uh, Outcast. Ah, okay. And if anyone was listening, which I hope they were, to the previous episode, I made a comment about his clothing and why he was riding horses. And Tim did trick me for a minute. And he said that he was into horses. And I believed him. And I left back at that later. <laughs> How stupid I fell for that. But anyway. He's a huge equestrian enthusiast, Joy. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I, I was serious. I was like, he is? <laughs> I said right, one so thing I love to do. This is something I do often. And I probably shouldn't. But I've done it for for as long as I can remember, is say something ridiculous, but say it really convincingly. And people go, really? Well, in that moment, so I did that once, Tim. Okay, I'm going to give it 30 seconds, and then I'll get to the song. But one time, so you know, like, they make a big deal about women's clothing not having pockets. Mm -hmm. I one time made a joke because in my mind, 
I really think this is true. I was talking to previous people we worked with in the HR department, two males I will not name, but there's only been two males that you know that work up there. So, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, I have it. I was like, you know what it is? I said, I bet the purse company owns. So the, the people who made pants also owned a purse company mm-hmm. and they wanted the women to buy the purses. So they made the pockets small. So that way they buy the purses. And both of them were like, Oh, really? Is that what? <laughs> I was like, no, but it sounds like something you would hear if you Googled it, right? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so so anyway, back to Heya. He said, Andre 3000, which is the singer, was right when he sang, y'all don't want to hear me, you just want to dance. Through the end of an incredibly joyful jam with deeply depressing lyrics about the state of modern relationships. Um, so basically what he's saying is, is it's a bop, but it's the saddest song he's ever written. Y'all don't want to hear me. You just want to dance. It's a metaphor for like in his relationship. They don't want to pay attention to him. They just want like all the because he's famous and they want to be near him. Right. Mm-hmm. And the song's supposed to be like about like it's like a pop song. Everybody wants to dance, but it's actually like, hey, listen to what I'm saying. So it's a metaphor. There we go. There Very we go. clever, Mr. 3000. You would not have guessed that from his equestrian based green clothing. <laughs> <laughs> His exact quotes were, this is the saddest song I've ever written. And and my horse agrees. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else for him, Tim? Uh, nothing other than just be kind. I agree with that. All right. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. To find the Alpha, now that's it tonight.